Hi, I'm Melissa Ridley Elms, and I won the 2019 Open Contract Challenge from World of Myth, Jason on Dark Myth Publications. And my book, <laughs> Arthurian Things, a Collection of Poems, was published in January 2020. And so far, it has received some very nice reviews, and a couple of the members of the Science Fiction Poetry Association are considering it for a nomination for an Elgin Award. So, if you're wondering, is this a real contest? It is a real contest. And if you're wondering, um, do I, should I submit? I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Well, do you want to be a published writer? Take a chance. The worst thing that can happen is you don't win. And the best thing that can happen is you do win and you publish your book. Go for it. My name is Walter G. Esselman, and I am the winner of the 2020 Open Contract Challenge. It's real. My book, Super Horror Max, I took it to a convention this weekend and was selling it. So check it out. Dreams can come true. Hi, my name is Peggy Gerber and I'm the 2021 Open Contract Challenge Grand Prize winner. Because of this competition, I can now proudly call myself the author of the published book, Stumbling in Crazy Town. To learn more about this amazing opportunity, go to www.opencontractchallenge.com and make all your publishing dreams come true. All her life, Joan placed herself into the hands of men who failed her. Joan does the unthinkable for a woman in 1960, leaving her small town of Gainesfield. As an accomplished musician, Joan served her country in the first ever women's Air Force band, San Antonio, Texas. She unwittingly becomes part of a brainwashing experiment. After her Air Force service, returning to society is particularly hard for Joan so much so that she has spent a good deal of her life in a mental institution. As a patient in a VA hospital, Joan is found murdered. Small-town secrets, whispers behind closed doors, stolen records, serve to solve the mystery of what the hell happened to Joan? This book is a work of fiction, but very well could have happened. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Myth Bits. I am your host, Jenna Sparks, and this is episode 169. Noise. So again, welcome to the world of Myth Bits. It's been a week. I think I see that every week. Uh, you guys should should anticipate that <laughs> from here on out. So before I jump in to what I have presented ready, I should say, for today, we do have a nice little chunk of housekeeping. So without further ado... With the launch of the Dark Myth Publications, uh, we have received a number of submissions for the 2023 Publications Year. If you want to submit a formal pitch, go to www.darkmythpublications.com and click on Manuscript Submissions and send in your idea, and you might see it in print come 2023. Good luck to everybody, and just do it, guys. Just do it. If you have something... Put it out there. Next up, Dark Myth Comics is starting production of American Smash number six. First, and to thank Alan Russo for co-creating and co-writing the first story arc with Dave. Uh, second, we are looking for a colorist for the series. So go ahead and contact Dave at David K. Montoya at jzomondarkmyth.com. 
Speaking of Dave and Dark Myth Comics, today Dave has formally sent an offer and a contract for a new editor-in-chief of that specific division. More to come on that. So good news and good luck again to uh, Dave and this potential new uh, editor-in-chief. <laughs> also, a bit of a congratulations is in order for New Wave Comics as their managing editor, John Costas, has locked in Deshaun Whiting and his comic series, Pissara the Animal God. And I saw the art and holy crap, uh, gorgeousness. All right. Do not forget, this is super important, uh, six days to go until the fourth annual open contract challenge. Uh, get get it in there. Just please, when the day comes, I think this is one of the coolest things we have seen flourish and blossom with. I mean, everything about this company is, is awesome, but the open contract challenge, what have you got to lose, you know? Since we are on the topic of the Open Contract Challenge, the grand prize winners of 2019, 2020, and 2021 have been working with us to create a fantastic commercial that will hopefully inspire folks who are on the fence about submitting, uh, as well as convince those skeptical about the sincerity of the contest. I don't know who would be skeptical of the sincerity of the contest, uh, but all right. I very much look forward to this commercial. Uh, and moving on, the JZO Modcast wants to congratulate Stephanie J. Barty and her Lupa's Bits podcast in reaching a new weekly record for the network. Congratulations, lovely. Uh, and coming in the new future, Mythmart will begin a weekly sale campaign. Every Wednesday, items at Mythmart will go on sale. If you are interested in getting in on those deals, sign up for our newsletter at The World of Myth magazine. Regarding PCE 2022, uh, there is a minor roadblock, as we found out last week, that June 4th has been removed from the booking schedule. Uh, due to, <laughs> this is putting it nicely, due to the San Bernardino Fairgrounds uh, and the fair that occurs. Uh, and it will be taking place during that time, unfortunately. But Dave has reached out to their administrators to find a new date for the event. So I think we're still looking around, you know, a similar timeline, just not exactly the fourth. Uh, and finally, don't forget that submission deadline for the magazine is the 15th of every month. So send in your stories, poems, and artwork. Also, if you are interested in writing a video game review, contact Steph at Stephanie J. Barty at theworldofmyth.com. Maybe I'll do it. I keep I keep wanting to put in a video game review, but I don't actually always play the video games. I, wa I will play with my nephew or he'll play and I'll watch the game. <laughs> but I feel like that also makes me a good reviewer in that I get a very large scale of comprehension because um, he's very vocal about the gameplay. <laughs> uh, anyway, moving on. So again, it has been, it's been a weird week. You know, I kind of fell into, I mean, to be totally honest, I, I really fell into like a depressive episode. Um, and it happens, you know, it, 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 it from time to time, I, I'm, handling it but um it's hard you know and, and I was talking to my friend about it and it's something that I do hope to uh talk about further in not the next episode but the episode after regarding you know create the creative field and being a creative person especially a freelancer, you you don't always get to separate your work life from your home life. They really coincide, you know, and nine times out of 10, people like us were our offices in the middle of our house. You know, I wish it were even in the garage or something, but that's not the case. So I have 100% accessibility to my work space. So I can't always 
stop. <laughs> you know, I don't have a door to close or lock behind me and come back to it same Monday. You know, it's it's m- more mental than that because you have to say, nope, I'm done. And sometimes I'm good at that. Sometimes I'm not. Um, but the point is, it 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 just, I don't know, it, it's weird. And I'm sure plenty of you know it, the... Um, the mentality of that kind of environment for yourself. And um, if you already experience, you know, uh, any kind of mental illness, you know, it's it's even more of a struggle and tiresome. But anyway, I'm going to get on that, like I said, in the next couple weeks because on a very – Hopefully, good note, I have begun the process of reformatting how I want to go about this podcast, and I've talked about it a little bit before. Um, I like information. You know, I like opinions and information sparingly within each other. You know, I think um, when Joe and I were working together, it was a little bit different where we were able to converse. But me talking into open space, I really want to put something out there, you know, that you guys have the ability to uh, retain as information uh, for, for later use. Or even if it's just something you need to hear, not just me rambling about this movie I liked or whatever um, for an hour on my own. Which, if that's what you guys like, you know what, I'll do it. But I wanted to give this a shot. So, this one is going to be a little bit different than what I do have planned um, going forward. Because I wrote a lot. <laughs> like, a lot, a lot. Uh, a lot, a lot. Um, so, I want to... I'm going to split this this list into two. So from here on out, my goal is to do top 10 lists. Uh, not in the David Letterman, you know, quick and in your face way, but a genuinely thought out, you know, understood, realized list. Uh, and I plan on exploring things that are a little bit more uh, shallow, you know, maybe, um, my favorite scenes from Harry Potter or, (laughs) you know, something, but this week in particular and next week, I have a top 10 list that, um, is a little bit more in depth because again, you know, I've been having a little bit of a mentally exhausting, depressed time. Um, And these are just things that I have learned and that I have talked to other people who, you know, we've all shared similar experiences. So with this list in particular, it's going to sound like a real Debbie Downer. But (laughs) hopefully um, it can also shed some light, you know, and I'm going to be speaking from my experience as an artist, as uh, somebody who is more familiar in the art world than the publishing world. So that also being said, I feel like most of it is really um, cohesive across the arts in general. So this week, we are going to enter the first five out of ten a list of the top 10 lies that you're told as a creative, right? Um, So buckle in. I really hope you guys like this format because I'm really excited for it and I had a lot of fun exploring and I tried to split it up to where both parts of this list are entertaining uh, and worth worth your while. So we're going to start with one through five. And like I said, there is a lot. So buckle in. And we are going to start with number one. 
you're gifted. When we hear the term gifted, it brings to mind various historical or fictional people we've known to see express themselves in an intellectually superior way. This can be through math or language or the arts, where the term is usually talented. And it's true. There are plenty of phenomenal people who are strongly adept at skills they picked up without it ever being considered previously. And with this is a beautiful aspect of life. Uh, When gifted students are realized, their education is curated with their strengths in mind. If a two-year-old shows an intense ability to retain music written by Mozart and then proceeds to play it, uh, of course, <laughs> you're going to sit that kid down in front of a baby grand piano and let him rip, right? But for most people and most children, that is hardly the case. So let's tackle, tackle, <laughs> tickle, let's tickle, let's tackle the white elephant in the room. Most education systems are not built or constructed, constructed for con- constant individual awareness, Historically speaking, we have often viewed children who express anything other than sweet surrender to the absolute present as something other. It takes a long while before that child's needs are understood to be met. But the reality is, no two children are the same. For example, academically, I am admittedly completely average. (laughs) In math, I have always been considered below average, and I'm not even being mean to myself. Okay, this is just the truth. I could never adapt to the teachings in class, in various classes, honestly, uh, no matter how many times they ran me through pre-algebra, well into high school. (laughs) Um, English and history, though, I always did very well. It wasn't until after I attended a school with a more individual care plan that I actually blossomed in and with mathematical skill. That's not to say I became a mathematical genius, but I was a little better able to understand the curriculum and I was able to actually pass because of the one-on-one attention with someone who's very skilled in their field and also very patient because they were able to work specifically with me. Um, So how does that fit in with children who express themselves artistically? We often marvel at kids' imaginations, you know, their abilities to see and comprehend things that adults have a much harder time doing thanks to the hardening aspects of growing up. And there's so much to unpack in that concept alone. And it's a little depressing. Of course, those who are around children, be you a parent or an aunt, an uncle, a sibling, a grandparent, adoptive parent, or whatever, will probably say they've tried to engage uh, their child in their interests. But for every parent who supports and encourages, there's another who discourages or is otherwise disinterested in their child's abilities. I used to get told that I was flighty or... My favorite. Uh, My feet weren't quite touching the ground, meaning that I had my head in the clouds. (laughs) Uh, And that's very kind compared to what other children might be told. And that's uh, under the assumption that children from a young age who are encouraged or exposed to the arts are gifted and children who aren't otherwise encouraged. It sets a tone for your favorite word and mine, privilege. Not every person is going to become aware they have talents in a field other than what they've been exposed to or are only encouraged to pursue. More often than not, it comes down to the monetization of that talent. We're taught from practically birth that we are not only worth what we have to offer, And if someone feels that talent doesn't offer anything because either they were never told or encouraged or dissuaded, whatever you want to say, or however you want to look at it, they're going to align it with something unworthy 
of their attention because chances of monetizing it for their own financial success are limited. And this isn't exclusive to children. People of all ages might discover they have a passion or take a take to a skill or a class, something. They find something with ease. Maybe everything in their life has led them to this point of awareness. Or maybe it's the fact they not, no longer are reliant upon it for monetization just to eat or have a roof over their head. Uh, and let's be completely honest. It's completely normal to go through a lot of your life unsure of what you want to do. But that leads us to this. Whether you were supported or not, whether you were lucky to attend school or training, or whether you picked up a keyboard, pencil, or paintbrush and it came as natural as breathing, whatever the case, it takes work. It takes so much work just to hone those skills. And a lot of people don't have the resources or time or privilege to devote the amount of work it does take. And unfortunately, those are the people who wind up ignored or swept under the rug until their death, honestly. For most people, to assume that your skills are a gift is a little, it's a little offensive because it means that every moment of labor, of striving to learn and educate yourself, comes down to something they don't think you ever had to work for. Right? And next up on my list... <laughs> I told you this is going to be a doozy. All right. Number two on my list. Anyone can do it. This is a follow-up to the gifted and another side of the coin. I was speaking to a friend of mine, and the, these were actual subjects we were talking about um, and musing over. The giftedness and the ideology that anyone can do it. I am of the belief... That yes, anyone can tap into creativity, but again, that falls under what was covered just a moment ago regarding the idea of your skills being a gift. Because the truth is, not everyone can do it. That means that not everyone knows they can do it, and also people who truly have very little choice in being able to do it. Like I said before, for every person who is encouraged, there is another who is discouraged. And economically, for a lot of people, it seems that it just isn't an option. But beyond that, because I will get into that later, uh, there is this fun little thing, the human psyche. People are different. Everyone is. Whether you want to admit it or not, every person has a psychological independence from the person next to them. And this opens the discussion to mental health, illness, and accessibility. Most basic art classes arts classes uh, available to people in beginner courses, including elementary and high schools and even in some secondary uh, education, all encourage pretty monotonous techniques. And these are imperative. Don't get me wrong. Understanding the basics is concrete foundation. But let me, once again, use one of my own experiences as an example. In beauty school, we're taught a great deal. Uh, dealing with chemicals and sharp objects, and you really don't want to be wrong in that, <laughs> you know? So we do a lot of that and a lot of science regarding chemical makeups and materials as well as biology and understanding of diseases. Very interesting stuff. But what literally everyone, including the teachers, tell you, tells you is that once you graduate and you go into that great big world of cosmetology, you're going to be asked to forget pretty much everything you learned uh, and learn from an actual salon and what they have to teach you. So you spend a year doing thousands of perms or using the cheapest, crappiest dyes and constantly being corrected and learning OSHA protocol, which are still very, very important. And those you do need to remember, okay? Um, only to be told that pretty much everything uh, you learn you need to unlearn. And in doing that, you have to pay back your student debt. <laughs> but now, not only do you have to unlearn those thousands of hours, those you know thousands of dollars, but you have to relearn it all in a new way. Uh, 
that's a lot. That is a lot of work and time and commitment. Um, and the same applies to the arts and creativity. You have your foundation, yes, but it's always going to change and shift. Whether you figure out a way uh, that you prefer to do it or whether you learn from someone else, it's always going to evolve. Any industry, right? It always changes and evolves and it's up to you to maintain that education constantly. Returning to the point of the curriculum though, it is important, but it is for the most part a very one-size-fits-all technique. And we know by now that just isn't the case for most people uh, to find themselves in the throes of a creative life. Psychologically, there are so many rigorous tests you have to prove to yourself. The amount of devotion is, it's honestly sickening. And I say that again from my own experience. You are constantly learning through both trial and error and with changing times and techniques. In writing alone, there is a constant evolution, not just in skill, but in social awareness that requires you to turn as much outward as you do inward. And you have to be willing to do that. If you don't want to evolve and progress, your work is going to stagnate. And chances that you'll blame everyone else rather than look at yourself is is pretty strong because it is so much easier to blame everyone else. And I know that all too well because that has been me. The point is, it comes down to a lot of internalized and sociological ideals that many that may prevent <laughs> may prevent us from pursuing our goals. And not everyone is able to do that. In short. You can look at 2020's quarantine for the best reminder of that. Uh, suddenly, a lot of people had more time and more money, and they were able to, to devote both of those factors in ways they may not have otherwise been afforded before. Interesting, right? And next up on my list, number three. If you work hard, you can achieve anything. I'm sure it sounds like I'm very bitter when I wrote this. I wasn't. I really, I hope this is valued advice because I wish these were things people had told me, okay? But I wish, I think we all wish that this were true, that if you work hard, you can achieve anything. To strive to be a professional creative, you have to master a whole handful and then some skills this includes marketing managing delegating communication social media business finance taxes a social life travel accommodations networking staying hydrated sleep it's a lot it is a lot to be mindful of anymore Stepping into a creative field by freelancing or pursuing your idea of the, of the ideal self-employed life requires so much time and effort. <laughs> Even if your goal is to work for another company, it is so rare that luck will find you in its graces. I want to work for Leica Studios. Doing what? I don't honestly know. Uh, I always joke that if they were looking for someone to scrub the toilets, I I would do that. You know, if only to be close to the magic of the studios and the creative teams that work there. But the reality is, and no, this isn't going to be self-deprecating, I will probably never work there, you know, uh, <laughs> for many reasons. But mainly, it just isn't in my wheelhouse at the moment. It's not to say I don't work my butt off. I work every day from the time I wake up until the time I go to bed, seven days a week. But just because I am working said butt off to gain exposure, sales, money, uh, likes, validation, showroom time, you name it, <laughs> whatever it is, uh, it doesn't mean that Leica Studios is going to hire me because I draw pretty pictures. That one was a little self-deprecating. <laughs> what I am getting at here, though, 
is sometimes you have to let your life lead you. I might be able to stop everything I'm doing right now and learn 3D printing, uh, how to crochet tiny outfits, how to build miniature sets, how to do teeny tiny wiring for lights, but that's not how it always goes. I love doing what I do, and I plan to learn all of that because I want to, but I don't know if my work and work ethic will honestly ever amount to anything. And that goes for everyone within this creative field. And even bitterly, for as long as you're self-taught, you're just a little more screwed. There are times where all it takes is one moment to change that trajectory. And I think that's what most most of us hope for. Uh, but I also know most of us all share a similar idea that we are the ones who are going to have to make it happen. Uh, but just because you submit to a publisher or a gallery, and while that does feel spectacular uh, to do, <laughs> it doesn't mean it's going to grant that wish. So you keep pursuing, you keep working, because of course, if you keep doing that, you'll get better and the rejection will stop. But that's not the case. Uh, one of my favorite people who is absolutely worth following on Instagram is Sarah Gamble, S-E-R-A, Gamble. She's a writer and she's worked on my favorite, uh, The Magicians, as well as Supernatural, You, and she just got greenlit to bring one of my favorite books, Wheatsy Bat by Francesca Lee Block, to the small screen. She is what we would consider very successful. But time and time again, she is very transparent about her rejections. And they do happen a lot. But she still moves and still presses on. And it all takes so much work. The point is... Your hard work is valuable to you. And on the bleakest note, it may never pay off. But maybe, maybe it's the insanity of going down these paths. The most wonderful part about it all is there's always the hope of it all. And honestly, you really have to work to really care about the journey rather than the destination. And number four on my list, <laughs> only the rich can be artists. What? So let's do a big bit of backpedaling here. And also, you know, I think now would be a really good time. Let's just, okay, how do I say this in the nicest way possible? We are not in the Kardashians' shoes. Um, recently, Kim Kardashian said, something really stupid, which was, she has great advice for women. Um, get off your effing butt and go to work. Surround yourself with people who want to work. It seems like no one wants to work. Well, most of us weren't born into, um, a super wealthy family, uh, and then <laughs> managed to profit off of, Certain things followed by a reality show, followed by all of that. So, sorry. Uh, beyond that, though, most of us are just normal people. Uh, probably not with a lot of money uh, to luxuriate, you know. But again, I'm going to backpedal a little bit. I just really wanted to get that off my chest, honestly, and this felt like a good place to do. Uh, so let's let's backpedal. This statement isn't necessarily a lie or even wrong, but it is very misleading. Looking back to what I had previously said about privilege and accessibility, it's a great jumping point. Let's look at, say, NFTs. Everybody's favorite thing to ever love or absolutely hate. And I'm not going to get into the politics of them overall, but rather why it's very inaccessible for most most folks. And again, I am not going to get into uh, the details of an NFT, how it works or anything like that, because I just don't have the energy or the time to do it. Uh, that's got to be another podcast that is not going to be mine because I don't know 
enough to cover 40 plus minutes. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> posting an NFT for sale is not cheap. It can cost anywhere from $70 to $1,000, depending. Uh, and this is also relevant to crypto because their crypto is, uh, in most circles, called Ether. So it's a little bit different, but Ether is worth dollars, if that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> so $70, not too bad, to $1,000. That's just to put it up for sale. Um, when we apply to galleries, showcases, or even conventions, the average cost, it also varies. Some galleries, for instance, require a submission fee, and that's, uh, just to send them an email with pictures of your work. And it's usually not exorbitant, you know, in cost. It'll, you know, be anywhere between like five to $30, depending on the gallery, but it's still zero guarantee that you'll ever even be accepted into the gallery. And I do think it's the same with some publishers. Uh, then there's the percentage. Even if your piece is accepted into a gallery, you have to account for their percentage. Some of the galleries I've worked with take 30%, and that's kind of on the low end, uh, to 50%. <laughs> so even if you price a piece at a pretty fair $300, You'll only walk away with a percentage of that, you know, uh, which it's not unfair. You know, I'm not taking away from galleries. Galleries are very important and they're honest and fair and we want and need them to be protected and safe, you know. Uh, but then you start moving into the higher scale art world where it becomes much more visceral and political, even attending convention sucks, which is on the polar opposite end of the spectrum there. Uh, <laughs> with the conventions, you will dole out anywhere from $100 to $800 for a table alone, depending on the event and depending on where that table is located. Artist Alley is usually the cheapest place to get it, but most people who've been doing this for a very long time hate to be in Artist Alley because it kind of has these negative con connotations that it's for beginner beginners um, or that obviously you're not as successful because you're getting the cheaper tables. It's really nasty, stupid stuff that makes logically zero sense. I don't care. I will always be in Artist Alley if I can help it. Um, but, okay, so you're doing $100 to $800 per table, uh, possibly lodging. <laughs> which depending on where you're traveling, uh, where you're going to be, could be ludicrous. Uh, and then you're doing it with a pair of crossed fingers and a car full of inventory, be it books, prints, shirts, whatever, that already probably came out of your pocket, not to mention your table itself, uh, banners, rigs, electricity if you need it at your station, tablecloths, racks, grids, stands. It all costs something. And you're investing in yourself, yes. And you're really hoping that it will lead to something. And again, this all falls under the previous topic about working hard. The amount of time it takes me to prepare for a convention is intense. But I also love it. Uh, you meet people and you make sales, which is nice, but you see things you might not have seen elsewhere and you meet other artists like yourself. And I really want to clarify too, that this all goes for writers too. There are plenty of them at conventions putting in just the same amount of work, effort, and the money, but that's the sad reality. Uh, but here's the other half of it, the time it takes to produce. It is always not always viable or even an option to compromise a living wage versus what people will crudely refer to as a hobby. Uh, not that hobbies are bad, but again, much like the artist alley table at some places, uh, it tends to have a negative connotation uh, and they're oh so fun to hear. Again, not everyone has accessibility or the means. We put so much value on how we can further monetize our labor. And I'm guilty of this. 
I am so guilty of this. And this is not a stop buying iced coffees or eating avocado toast situation. This is a real issue that we, a, a lot of people in my generation, have dealt with. We are constantly being forced to monetize what little free time we have. Hustle culture is predatory and it's vicious and it conditions us to think that this is genuinely normal, you know, not to mention the exhaustion that comes with simply surviving. So how does this prove that the statement is wrong or misleading, that you you can only be rich to make uh, art? Because by monetizing our craft, our skill, we assume our worth and our own personal value. It becomes less about the interest or the love of the skill and only about how you can sell yourself. And we have all <laughs> looked at ways to make money doing what we love. Hell, I do it all week long, you know, but I am not by, I'm not by any means the end-all be-all. My experience is not the only experience. I want to clarify that. But when it comes to your craft and your skill, you just have to do it. It doesn't matter if it's writing a prompt once a week uh, that you can only push out 600 words, or if your drawing takes six months or a year. Take back and reclaim the ownership of your love and your passion of your craft. We have so many dreams taken away from us as we grow up, and why should we allow any more power given to that? When you can embrace the reality that you are not worth what you can produce, then I think more people will be able to ac access the arts, uh, to find interest in it, to find love and joy in it. And if something happens that's financially viable, then it happens. Congratulations. But it starts with you, the owner of your skill. You can do with it what you will, but there's no sense in thinking it's impossible because of money. Oh, ho, ho, ho. and last one for this episode. This is number five on the list. Oh, and this one's going to be tough. Okay. Social media is the best way to gain visibility. This wonderful little lie. I hate social media, but I also love it. It is a terrific place to find and discover people, artists, writers, creators, crafts, ideas, cultivations of wonder, whatever it is. But it's also an oversaturated, oversaturated brutal, brutal place where people don't always have filters and have no problem tearing you down. Where programs can shadow ban you for little to no reason. Where algorithms work against you rather than for you. Social media, as we all know, is essentially a lie. Uh, we see pretty things and think that's the reality. On the surface, looking at a smooth airbrushed influencer leads us to think that's how they wake up, right? We see products used as weapons designed to target our insecurities. We see murals being painted in 30 times the speed when it actually took months. Uh, we see the algorithm trick us based on things we've inquisitively looked at once, and then it assumes that's all we care about. Looking at you, Instagram, for that one David Tennant post I liked many months ago... And now I am seeing far too many David Tennant suggested posts. Not to say I dislike David Tennant. I love him. But I'm not sitting there liking tons and tons of uh, posts regarding him. Anyway, <laughs> the algorithm in short sucks. It, too, is a predatory tool. You know, go ahead and watch The Social Dilemma for more on that. But regarding social media in general, for creatives, it is so saturated it might as well be a wasteland you know think mad max fury road all of us are fighting for one stupid thing well in mad max they're fighting for you know actual things that they need to live uh we're not all furiosa okay let's just keep it at that uh <laughs> anyway regarding social media the market is thick <laughs> with 
others posting nearly exactly the same thing as you. And keeping in mind that social media is meant to limit your attention span, it's easy to understand why so many people fall within the cracks. It's marketing 101. It's something that if it doesn't grab your attention instantaneously, literally instantaneously, it's not going to garner enough traction. So we're always looking for new exciting ways to attract views and be it challenges, uh, shock value, or even more explicit things. Anything to make viewers stop for just a long enough second and appreciate what they're looking at. But still, the algorithm, it buries its users, you know? Sites like Instagram, who've become synonymous with really crappy algorithms. There is the bitterness, I won't lie. Uh, with really crappy algorithms. Uh, they've finally decided to hear the call of the people and have a chronicle, chronological order uh, option coming back to feeds. So... And that's something that most users have been begging for since they took it away several years ago. Um, and look, if you already have hundreds of thousands of followers or views, it's a bit of a different story, you know. <laughs> uh, but even creators with dozens of thousands of followers fall victim to the algorithm regularly. Uh, they wind up buried under masses and masses of other creators. And it can be very disheartening. If you're trying to run a business or gain attention for your work, whatever it is, to garner visibility, it is the absolute worst. And so much anguish, <laughs> you know, making viral content is not an easy thing. And if you're like me and really dislike social media, it's even harder when you make a go of it and really aim to get your stuff out there. But wait, there's more. I've talked a lot about the psychology of social media uh, before. And even just now, I pointed out how awful it can be. Social media is the perfect storm of rejection. And we might as well be uh, Pavlov's dog dogs when it comes to getting likes. It's a vicious, vicious circle that never, ever ends and we crave more and more of it because when that one like comes in <laughs> that one comment that one save whatever that's when it'll be your chance every once in a great while you know Derek Dryman he was uh the storyboard artist and writer for shows like Rocco's Modern Life Spongebob Squarepants Cat Dog Hey Arnold and tons of films for for DreamWorks essentially my childhood, right? Uh, he will randomly, I'll, I'll have turned up in his, in his feed somehow, some way. Uh, he doesn't follow me, but I'll just show up in his feed and he'll spam like, you know, he'll spam like a bunch of my posts. And are you kidding me? Like I pee, I pee myself every time it happens. It happens once in a great while, but it's happened enough for it to be multiple times, and I get so giddy and so excited. I'm so gleeful, you know, when it happens. Waiting for the next time, though, that I will show up in his feed, and he likes a few of my pieces again, and it's exhilarating, and it's also really, really sad <laughs> on my part, you know, because it's that constant need for validation, that that hope that is soon dashed with reality. Then there's that continued search for that dopamine-like fix again, you know? Uh, and the process starts all over, and it's sad. It's a sad way to go through life, uh, but it's a necessary evil, you know? Not every creator has access to the environments that are safe or even cater to their needs or vice versa, but if it affects us in ways that harm us just as much. It can be lucrative and it can absolutely be beneficial. Uh, but most of us, we just have to deal with it. All right. 
So here's where I'm going to stop. I'm going to pause my list because uh, I do get into territory that I am very, I don't want to say excited to get into, but that I am very eager to share and express. And it's a lot. (laughs) So I'm also really glad that, you know, that that really filled up the space. I hope that again, this is informational and helpful. I know up to this point, it's very opinion based, but hopefully it's a, it's at least a, a valuable opinion or at least one that challenges, uh, your thoughts. Maybe, maybe you look at things, maybe you're hearing exactly what I'm saying. You're like, no, I'm not going to look at it like that. That's too bleak. That's too depressing. Do it, please. Like I am more than happy to even hear different different ideas you know I know I'm not uh the end-all be-all like I said I'm not the only experience out there Uh, but I have experienced a little enough you know to have garnered these opinions that like I said I hope are helpful for other people um so that's what I want to put out there and I want I want to know if they're working to be heard you know so next week I will finish the list and then after that I will aim I the goal is to then do something a little bit less bleak but also in theme with the things you're told as an artist so uh right now we are just going to pause and we will pick up with number six next week and until then You can visit us at www.theworldofmyth.com on Facebook and the Twitter at the World of Myth Bits Podcast and the World of Myth Magazine and on Instagram at the World of Myth Bits. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you guys had a good time. Until next time.